Action Park Media. Kia ora, everyone. Really cool episode today with Sinead. We talk about a really rare disorder. Apparently, only about 2% of people on the planet have it. And I had never heard of it before. Uh, you may not have either. And it can be actually really dangerous if it's left undiagnosed. So kind of a interesting deep dive. And I'm so grateful for Sinead for sharing her experience. So without further ado, we'll let her tell you all about it. This is Pretty Depressed with Sinead. So I'm here with Sinead. Now, this is really exciting because I have little prepped for this episode only because you delightfully came to me with something that I'd never even heard of before, which is so perfect and delicious because I'm sure, like like you said, like a lot of people don't know about this thing, teaser, that you have. So I guess no better place to start than what you got, Sinead. Tell us about it. <laughs> So it's this really fun <laughs> disorder called, oh. it's called derealization, depersonalization disorder. And it's super rare and it only affects like 2% of people. Okay. Um, and so I had never heard of it, um, so which meant that when I developed it and it started happening to me, it was really terrifying because I was like, thought I had a brain tumor or I thought I must have had a fall and bumped my head um, because yeah. I just never heard of it. And, and then when I tried to explain it to people, everyone was like, I don't really know what you're talking about. Like everyone's heard of De- anxiety and depression. Say it one more time. Derealization slash depersonalization disorder. So it's called DPDR, like in, in the streets. Cool. Yeah, great. Okay. <laughs> sorry. And then carry on. I just wanted to make sure I heard you correctly. Yep. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so when I got it, I didn't know what the fuck was happening to me. When I tried to explain it to people, they were like, I don't know what you're on about. Um, because with like always a good place to start, always a yeah. really response. Like you're nuts. <laughs> yeah, yeah, great. With depression and anxiety, everyone's like, Cool, I get it. Like you're sad or you're like nervous. Like everyone knows what that is, but no one had heard of this. And so no one really knew how to react when I told them or what they wanted from me. And I was like, I don't even know. Like, I don't, I don't know what this is either. Yeah. Okay. So what were your symptoms or what, how does it present? So basically I had been going through a really stressful time at work. Um, and off the back of that, like I've always had really bad health anxiety um, because my mum died of cancer about 10 years ago. And ever since then, I've been like really paranoid that I'm going to get cancer. And so I would be like going to the doctor once a week with like a freckle or like a you know, anything ran to my body. And I'm like, it's cancer, it's cancer. Catch it early so that I can, yeah. Exactly. Um, And they're always like, there's nothing wrong with you. Anyway, I went through a really stressful time at work. I had been away on a work trip um, and I got back and my health anxiety was through the roof. Like I would sit on WebMD for like eight hours a day, just Googling shit. Yeah. Um, And then I remember I got in the shower because I was like, I need to stop Googling. This is insane. I got in the shower and I got out of the shower to get my phone to take in the shower to keep Googling. And I was like, okay, like you're around the bend. Um, And then when I got out of the shower at the end, I looked in the mirror and I couldn't see myself properly. Like I was just like a blob with no features um, and it was kind of like, you know, if you've ever been like drunk at a house party and you go to the bathroom and look in the mirror and you can't see properly, and that's when you realize you're like, oh shit, I'm wasted. Yes. <laughs> Not yes, I I do know what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. It was like that. So I couldn't really see. 
and I couldn't feel anything. So like I would bite down on my arm and I couldn't feel pain. Like I couldn't feel the shower was hot. It was like everything was numb from the neck down. And so I was like, have I fallen over and banged my head or like what's happened? Like it was so scary. And it was Um, from that moment, like that's when, okay. Pretty much. And so then um, I think I called my partner and I was like, something weird's happening. And he was at work and he was like, I'm sure it's fine. Like have a nap or something. And then we were going to a party later that night and I was in the car with, maybe you know Ricardo Simic who's my friend we were in the car on the way to this party and he was talking I couldn't hear anything he was saying and it was like I was underwater like it was everything was mumbled I couldn't hear what he was saying and I was like this is weird and I got to the party and I couldn't really see properly and that's so I was there for like two minutes and I said to my partner I was like I need to go to the hospital like something has gone wrong um and so we went to the ER and it was like a busy Saturday night and so it took hours to see someone and I finally saw someone and told him my symptoms. I was like, I can't really see. I feel really zoned out. Things don't seem real. Like everything's like a dream state. Um, and he was like, look, like, have you taken anything in the past 24 hours? And I was like, yeah, I take clonazepam for anxiety and I take sleeping pills and stuff. And he was like, you've probably over-medicated yourself and that's why you feel a bit groggy. And he was like, I'm going to send you home. And I was like, okay. So I woke, I went home and it just got worse and worse. Um, and then... The next day, my partner, it was this football World Cup finals and my partner's British. He's a big football guy. And so he went out to the football and he was like, are you feeling okay? And I was like, yeah, like, I think I'm fine. And then as soon as he left, it got really bad. I could barely see. I felt, yeah, felt like I was in a dream. And for the next eight hours, it just escalated into the point where I was like, maybe I'm asleep and I'm dreaming because I just felt yeah. so fucked. And I was like, I think that's what's happened. This isn't real. I'm asleep and this must be a dream. And so I was like, so the way to wake up from a dream is to like get a big jolt. And so I went out onto our apartment balcony and I was like, if I jump off the balcony, I'll wake up. And so, and it was fucked. And so I stood out there for ages. And I was like, I just have to jump off and then I'll wake up from this dream. And like, I wasn't suicidal. I was just so confused. Yeah. Like I was like, this, I'm asleep. And so that's how I wake up. And then I think something clicked in my brain and was like, maybe just check that with someone before you jump off the balcony. So I think that's when I called the mental health crisis line. And I was like, hey, random, I'm asleep, I think. But in case I'm not, like, could we just talk? Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) And they. I just want to let you know. Yeah, yeah. I was like, random. So they were like, get off the balcony now. Like this sounds like derealization to sort of call your partner and tell him he has to come home right now. Like you can't be by yourself because like, I didn't know what was real and what wasn't. And so my partner by this point has been at the pub watching the football World Cup for eight hours. He's wasted. Also, doesn't know what is real or not. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) And so he's no help. Has to lime scooter home, like drunk out of his mind. And then be with me and I'm like screaming by this point I had been shaking for hours so my whole body had seized up so I was in so much pain and I was on the phone to the crisis team all night long and they um, were just like consoling me being like it's okay like we we were going to see you in the morning like you just need to try stay calm but I was just around the bend by this point um and also they were like you need to go to sleep like because by this point I hadn't slept in a couple days 
and they're like you're at like a dangerous level of sleep deprivation like that's why this is so bad take a sleeping pill and I was like I can't the man at the hospital the doctor said that this had happened because I'd taken sleeping pills and they were like he was wrong like he was a busy ER doctor run off his feet he misdiagnosed you you need to take a sleeping pill so I was like okay we went back and forth and eventually I took one and went to sleep and then I think the next day we went to the like the psych ward and they were like, you've got this disorder. It's brought on by like extreme stress. Well, it's actually developed in childhood. Like if you have a traumatic childhood, your brain develops this disorder as like a um, protective mechanism. So when you're in a stressful or traumatic situation, your brain will just shut off because it's like this is too much right. for this kid to bear. So I'm going to turn off. So then your brain develops this as a pathway so then as an adult if you're in a stressful situation it will click in and it will shut down because it's like you're in danger even if you're not actually in real danger like it's just like a stressful time at work or something right it's yeah it's confusing when you sorry to interrupt your story because you're very eloquently telling it and I'm I'm on the Uh, not at all I'm very much there. when you woke up after the sleeping pill did you still have these feelings or from sleeping had I think it had it definitely subsided but then when I got to the psych ward and they were had to talk through like my childhood and everything I've been through in my life and I think it started to rise again then and then when I was like okay so like do give me a pill like does that make it go away and they're like oh no there's no real clear treatment plan for this because it's really rare so we're going to have to try a couple of meds and therapy um, but sometimes people can be stuck in these episodes for like weeks or months. And that's when I was like, crying my eyes out. Cause I was like, you, I, I can't live like this. Like, you have to fix me. So, okay. So the, the derealization part, I understand. So that's, ba- I understand the concept. It's basically like, like you said, you don't know of, of someone who is usually of sound mind has yeah. an episode where they can't determine what is real or not or what state they're in the depersonalization part is that what you saw in the mirror and where you couldn't feel yourself like you're not yeah what's that yeah so basically people will either have the it's it's an umbrella term like you can have parts of both but sometimes like usually people lean more towards one or the other so depersonalization is feeling like I'm not real like the world is real, but I'm not real. I'm not in my body. I'm not a, like, I'm not alive. And it's sort of like you're sitting in your brain watching you do right. things, but you're not actually present in yourself. And then derealization, which is what I have more of, is that I'm real. The world around me in my environment isn't real. And it's like a dream state. I can't, like things don't seem real. They're cartoonish, like as if like I was like, stoned or something like that's the closest I can compare it to is like when you've drunk two bottles of wine everything's a bit weird not quite real um except I'm sober so it's really unsettling yeah of course very creepy and do you feel anger like uh, I'm trying to think of uh and not to compare it to like dementia or Alzheimer's but where you don't trust people is there a trust element in in this, uh, the derealization place, like when people are telling you to calm down, are you? Do you believe that they're on your side? Is there, you know, is there any of that kind of anxiety attached to it? Of like, who do you trust? Or, yeah, I think what I found hard was that, like, 
um, all the psychologists and psychiatrists were like, you need to do grounding exercises, like breathe and use headspace and like put your feet on the grass and stuff like that. And I'm like, that's not working. Like you think I haven't tried that. Do you know what I mean? And I would get so angry um, because I was like, I'm breathing. Like I meditate. It's not doing shit. Um, And I, yeah, it's, I've always found that quite frustrating, but then also like, I'm not great at doing those things on a daily basis. Like I don't meditate. I don't, I don't go for walks. I fucking hate walking. Um, And so I'm, I'm not good at trying to like build up those tools in my toolkit until it's like too late and it's ambulance at the bottom of the cliff. And I'm like, you know, in a full, full, you know, breakdown of like, okay, now I'll do like some headspace. And it's like, well, of course it's not going to work. Like, and what is, is this now something that you have to be mindful of? Like what people who do have um, this, do we call it a disorder? Is that a fear? Yeah. Yeah. Is it something that you're like, hey, I need to really make sure I'm not overly stressed or whatever, because this is something like I have to manage with my depression. I'm like, ooh, little Petri dish is very ripe for a breakdown right about now. Or sometimes I can feel it happening not to, you know, where I'm like, conditions are not perfect for this breakdown. Like, why are we feeling this way? Is it a similar, like, can you feel it oncoming or is it? Yeah. So basically I had to change my whole life. Um, So I used to, you know, like I've been a journalist for a decade and I worked in TV and um, did a bit of radio and all of that stuff. And I found that being full-time in those environments, like is not, it does not work with this condition because being in like a busy newsroom under fluorescent lights, like I'm really sensitive to fluorescent lights. I'm really sensitive to noise. So like a busy news with everyone chatting and you know breaking stories and stuff like it it just is too overstimulating for me mm-hmm. um I also had to quit coffee because stimulants don't really agree with me um I drinking so I could I can go out and drink like on a Friday night or whatever but if I then drink on a Saturday and a Sunday I'll start to dissociate um drugs don't agree with me um, I have to get a lot of sleep. Like I, people with this disorder have really high sleep needs. So I will usually, before I was a mum, would sleep like 12 hours a night minimum. And now I have a two-month-old, and so that's obviously not feasible. Yes, but yes. my husband can tell when I'm starting to get sick because I get quite manic and I'll be like frantically cleaning the house all hours of the day or I'll be like, making plans with friends like I'm like let's have a dinner party this night and tomorrow we'll go to the pub and then we'll have a barbecue like he can tell when I'm starting to get a bit nuts oh yeah yeah yeah. well good and so he will start to treat me like one of our children which is good like he'll be like you're going to be at eight o'clock tonight you can watch 10 minutes of TikTok and then I'm taking your phone downstairs and I'm looking after the baby in the night and you're getting like 12 hours sleep and so like it's very kind yeah. Um, and sometimes you need that. You need someone to be totally. like, you're not the adult anymore. You've, you've, your mania has, uh, you've foregone those responsibilities. And yeah. yeah, right. How good to have a partner who can do that too. That's really totally. And because he's seen, if he doesn't, like, I'm not very good at looking after myself. And if he doesn't look after me, he can see what it will escalate to. And so he's like, we can't do that, especially we have a baby daughter. Like, and I can end up in these dissociative states for like weeks at a time. And so that would just be so hard to then look after my baby. In the, um, 
in the build up to it, you you shared that you were on WebMD and stuff. Is mm-hmm. that anxiety around health changed at all, or have you done any therapy to kind of address that element of it? Um, and yeah. I'm sure there are many roads that lead to Rome to get you to that state, but that hyper can I call it hypochondria ism yeah. around health. How have you dealt with that? Because that's probably something a lot of the listeners have. We all have, you know. Okay. I'm like, so, as soon as I've got like something, I'm like, well, this is the thing. It was cut, you know, like, yeah. So. Yeah. So I did, I started in therapy when I was maybe like 22. So I think around the time my mom died and I was with the same therapist for like eight years, I would see her once a week. And that was great. We'd talk through my life and childhood chat and all of that. And that was really good. But I think um, it, I, I was with her for a bit too long because like my life changed and my mental health issues changed and stuff. And she was probably a bit over familiar with me. I was over familiar with her. Oh. And so then I ended up with this dissociative disorder, which she didn't catch in time. I didn't catch in time. So anyway, yeah. so part of the treatment plan was that I um, changed psychologists and I changed to someone who like one of their specialties, specialities, specialties was health anxiety and it was like a completely different therapy format. So the one I'd been seeing for like eight years, I would just go and talk about my week and anything that had cropped up. Um, but this one was very like regimented. She was like, we're doing this four to six week health anxiety plan. And it had worksheets and every session would go through these different like activities and stuff and around health anxiety. And at the end of six weeks, I didn't have health anxiety anymore. Wow. Can you, if you don't mind sharing and only what you're comfortable with, what would be an example of one of the, yeah, the exercises? Like what? So the one that really stuck with me, um, because I'm like, one of my issues with having this disorder is I have really bad memory. And so unless I, it really affects my long-term and short-term memory. So I have to write everything down to remember. Anyway, so it's hard for me to remember stuff I did in therapy, but the one that stuck with me is called I think it's called radical acceptance therapy. And so she was like, okay, say you have a freckle and you go to the doctor and they're like, yep, it's skin cancer. Worst case scenario, you, you're terminally ill, you're going to die. Like, how does that feel? And I was like, well, like quite shit, like <laughs> I'm going to die. And she was like, okay, but like, is the anxiety kind of relieved because now you have cancer and you're going to die. So you don't have to worry about it anymore. And I was like, yeah, actually, yes. Because I was like, it's not even like getting cancer and dying that's a fear. It's the waiting to get cancer that that's what my anxiety stems from. But if I had cancer and they're like, you're going to die, I think I could handle that. But I can't handle like the anxiety and the lead up to it. Interesting. That's a really beautiful way of describing it. And I imagine too, when you found out you are pregnant and having your own daughter, I'm sure that props up as well because then that that uh, need to be alive is a little bit more. Did you experience any kind of relapse during that part? or I did actually after the birth of my daughter. So I um, ended up, I because I was, I was really sick of my pregnancy, I was doing no exercise. And then I had my daughter and I was lugging her around all the time in a car seat and pram and all that shit. And I ended up like straining some nerves in the left side of my body and my left arm and leg went numb. But because after you're pregnant, you're at quite high risk of a blood clot, I got like rushed to ER because they were like, oh, it could be a blood clot. And I remember absolutely losing it like in the 
doctor's room. Like I was trying to be like nice and funny and stuff, which is what I, you know, always yeah, try yeah, yeah. So yeah. I'm a loser. Um, but then I, as long as everyone <laughs> likes me as you're dying on a bed or yeah, in my darkest times, I'm like just trying to be fun. Yeah, is everyone else okay? Everyone's good. But anyway, I remember just bursting into tears, and I was like, "Because you can die of a blood clot. Like if it travels to your lung, you can die." So I was crying. I was like, "I've got like a six week old, and I can't die. Like you need to cure me." And he was like, "We don't even know if you've got a blood clot, and if you did." The chances of it moving are like 0.1%. The chances of it moving to your lung are even smaller. The chance of you dying are so small. So like you're like, God. you're like dumb and dumber. It's like, so you're saying there's a chance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and so then I classic me, I leave the doctor, I call my husband, and I'm like, well, they're saying that it could be a blood clot and it could go to my lung and I could die. So um tell Vivi I love her, I guess. Bye. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, great, awesome. Oh my gosh. I don't mean to laugh, but I I do I laugh in your delivery because I want would be similar in the same with the same circumstance it seems, um, yeah that's okay. So what I I guess yeah what what treatment is there? Just like alternative kind of like therapy and just I mean you know there's also no cure for people who have I mean for seasonal depression sure it's more about managing symptoms and you say that that's kind of where you are at and the community of people who have this disorder it's just about you taking care of your vessel so as that this doesn't pop up yeah so basically I don't do regular therapy anymore but if something like I did it for the health anxiety and then I did it a bit and when I was going through IVF and my pregnancy so that's an anxious time obviously but I don't do it regularly anymore um but I do I have a psychiatrist which is like I'm part of the publicly funded um Mm -hmm. team which is amazing because not everyone can access that but I guess I was very like I was sick enough to warrant being part of this system Um, and so over the past couple of years since I developed this disorder, they've tried lots of different drugs. Um, but what's um because they try a combination of like antidepressants, antipsychotics, anti-anxiety meds, and try work out what combo alleviates the symptoms as much as that it can. Um, but it's tricky because lots of antidepressants make you like dull everything and make you feel quite zoned out. And obviously that's what I'm trying to combat, that feeling. So it's yeah. really tricky. And another annoying thing is the few meds that help me and work for me um, make me put on a lot of weight. So I went on them when I was 29 and I think I put on like 35-ish kgs and I'm really short. So it's like a lot. Um, and I was getting married around that time. And now I look back at my wedding photos and I like, hate them because I'm so big. And I think if I'd always looked like that. beautiful in your wedding photos. I've seen them. So, <laughs> But I think like. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not robbing you of your experience. Yeah. But let me just, yeah. I think because yeah. I know that that's not what I normally look like. And I only looked like that because I'd been going through a hard time. It reminded me of that. And it also, I was, I'd put on a lot of weight through going through IVF. So it reminded me of the fact that we had to do that. And so it was just the my appearance was just like a visual reminder of like how sick I was and that I was not coping. And so that's what I hated about it. Um, and so then, so those, but those means really worse. So that was great. So I was like, I'll just suck up the fact that I'm like, a you know, a bit chunky. Um, 
But then when I got pregnant, my medications weren't pregnancy safe. So there are pregnancy safe meds like, I don't know, Stelopram or whatever, but my ones are quite hardcore. So they're not good to be on while you've got like a baby developing its brain and stuff inside of you. So I came off all my meds. um, But what's interesting about pregnancy is that um, quite often mental illnesses or physical illnesses, like especially autoimmune disorders, they go away when you're pregnant because your body is like, I have to protect this baby. So I didn't have any um, derealization throughout my whole pregnancy which I think was my body protecting my daughter. But I'm also- smiling because I'm like, does this story end with like outcomes baby and guess what's been waiting in the wings? Like- 100%, <laughs> we'll get to that. Um, but I think, yeah, so my body was protecting my daughter, but also my lifestyle was so healthy and wholesome because I was pregnant. So I wasn't, I quit vaping. I wasn't drinking, obviously. I was sleeping so much. Um, and also I was very sick in my pregnancy. I had hyperemesis, which meant I vomited throughout my whole pregnancy. So I was really keyed into my body, even though it was in a bad way. I was so connected to my body that I couldn't really feel zoned out. Okay, so the solution is... Be pregnant always. All the time. Oh, my God. Yeah. How old school Catholic of you. Um, <laughs> okay, that is... Oh, my gosh. I'm so glad that you shared this because... You're right. There's an element of those symptoms that feel additionally scary. One for safety, the fact that you were pretty convinced that you could jump off something just to wake you up, like, and thank goodness you didn't. Um, but also like feeling disorientated in your body is a really scary thing. And I'm sure a lot of people probably don't seek help or deal with it because they're like, I'm insane. I'm going to get taken away or, you know, like, even just with my depression, I was so anxious about going to therapy the first time in case I said something like, oh, I've thought about, and disclaimer, but like thought about having suicidal thoughts and stuff and worried that if I said that out loud, somebody like, get her out of here, you know, like put her in a jacket in a padded room. Um, so I'm really appreciative of you sharing that and and the steps you did. I think that's really helpful. Um I am wary that I'm I'm at my time. I could, I mean, I could talk to you forever anyway. But I, I am curious, something I always ask my guests and and maybe ask answer this for where you are right now. But I'd love to know what your brain looks like. Uh, and I mean this as like a picture or an image, or maybe it's a haunted house or a garden, or yeah, what do you, when you think of your brain, which is obviously delicious and high functioning and challenging at times, what is it, what does it look like to you? So I've actually thought about this in the past. So having this dissociative disorder, I imagine it like my brain is like a fishbowl. And so when I have a big night, like on the booze, it fills up with like a cup of water. And then if I'm, if I think one of my friends is mad at me, like, which is always, <laughs> I always think people are mad at me. It fills up with another cup of water. Or then if I have shit sleep, it's another cup. Or if I'm going through a stressful time, it's another cup. And once it reaches the brim and the water starts overflowing, that's when I start to dissociate and the lights go off in my brain. It's like something short circuits, everything shuts down. And that's when I go into this weird dream state. And so I have to do everything I can to like scoop the cups out to stop it going to the brim. That makes, that's beautiful, of course. (laughs) Um, 
that makes a lot of sense. And and sorry, last couple of questions. Yes. Do you is this something that you do in your relationship of like a see something, say something, but if something's a niggle, do you have to address it right away to as an act of scooping it out? Or yes, definitely in my marriage. Like we have three children. So I have my daughter Vivi and then I have my two stepsons. Um, and so obviously, like, like we are rock solid, my best friend, love my husband, um, love my life. But of course, you're sleep deprived, you're raising three children, shit's gonna come up. And yeah. so we constantly are like having check-ins and being like, this stressed me out, or I didn't like when you did this or whatever. Because otherwise, if I like I we do it too much. My husband's like, can we just watch TV and do this tomorrow? But I'm like, no, because it's just I got scooping to do. Yeah. I got scooping to do. Um, or if I think someone's mad at me, I'm like, I, you know, call them. I'm like, are you mad at me? Or like, I'm just constantly having to scoop stuff out of my brain because if I don't, and it goes up to the brim, I can end up fucked for weeks. So that's, I mean, it's great to have that self-awareness as well. And it's a healthier thing of dealing with things in the, in the present. Um, thank you so much. Now I know if people want to find you and follow your beautiful daughter's journey and things where would they find you and I, I'm sure if if you're comfortable people might have some questions around that are you comfortable with people and you respond to them with whatever capacity you are but either to you or where do people go to get more information about this yeah so totally so I'm on Instagram sineadcorcoran.di um and yeah because this this disorder is quite rare I think if you google it and google my name so derealization disorder and Sinead my like I things I've written about it will come up but there is and there's like Facebook groups you can join if you've got this illness or if you want to learn more but it's been really nice because when people do google this my stuff is what comes up and so I've had people who are suffering this illness get in touch with me and I've been able to offer what little advice I can like I'm not very helpful I'm not a doctor but I've I've been through it so I I can sort of be somewhat of assistance Um, And this one young guy in particular who got in touch with me and was really struggling and I could like sort of help him through it. And I was like, look, like I've got a baby. So I'm up all hours of the night. Call me anytime. If, you know, if you're out on a balcony, you call me, I'll I'll talk you down. Um, And so, yeah, it's really nice to be able to be that for people because I didn't have that when I was going through this. Like I didn't know anyone who who dealt with it. Um, So yeah, long story short, DM me on Instagram if, if you're suffering something like this or you just want to chat. And uh, last question, because I think it will be helpful for people who aren't going through this, but perhaps their partner is or a family member or a daughter, son, whatever. What mm-hmm. was something that your husband did that you think was really helpful that could be something that people can go, okay, should this happen to me or if this is happening to me, this was helpful for the person. Not People don't always have the words themselves to ask others what they need. Yeah. Because you've been in that situation, yeah, was there something that he did that you're like, that was perfect he talked to his work and he talked to his bosses and explained the situation and said like I need time off I have to be with Sinead like she can't be by herself and so he front-footed that told them everything which I was fine with um and so just made sure that he was with me all the time especially when I was going through the thick of it which was the first couple of weeks um and then he would talk to my friends and update them every day and say, well, this is how Sinead's doing. Um, if you want to pop round or whatever, like this is where she's at today. And so took over all the comms because it was quite hard for me to be messaging my friends and replying to messages with a really bad memory because I wouldn't remember 
what I'd told people the day before and stuff like that. So he just took that over. Um, so yeah, I guess, yeah, talking to people, explaining the situation and letting them know that, you know, you need to be there to support your partner or relative or whoever it is. Yeah. That's so good. Hey, I mean, I just want to sit here forever, but um, thank you so much. What okay. a treat. And thank you for approaching me about it because I, I'm so grateful for that. And I say this verbally to you, but to others too, like there are so many different facets of mental health that I'm not equipped for and shining a light on it's so important. Um, so we can all have more empathy and understanding as well because it's um, totally. So thank you for sharing your story. I love you. Thank you for having me. Love you too.